0: study together on the psalms we're in for a treat we're looking at psalm 100 and this morning i want to introduce to you a man named david williams those who've been around our church at PCPC, we care deeply about the church and we care deeply about the advance of the gospel our mission is to extend the kingdom and one of the primary ways we believe god has called us to do that is through church planting God has always used ordinary people to do extraordinary things for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he does that through his church. And one of the best ways that we can extend the kingdom is by planting new outposts of mission, new churches all over the world, but even right in our own city. And we have a great opportunity this year to train up a pastoral resident for church planting. And David Williams. But David is no slouch. He's been around a long time. He has a ton of life experience that I'm sure he would love to share with you. What I do want to share with you this morning is that he comes from Houston, Texas. He spent some time on staff at RTS, that's Reformed Theological Seminary in Houston. Uh, He spent some time um, serving in the presbytery down there in Houston, as well as Christ Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And he has come uh, to move with his wife, Robin, to Dallas to plant a church here in our area. And so I want to introduce to you so you know who's teaching you, but I also want you to be praying for him. Pray that the Lord would lead him to the right neighborhood, the right context, the right people, the right place. And that over the next year, uh, God would be really forming both he and Robin and their time among us. Uh, to plant that next work for the sake of God's kingdom. So David, go ahead and come on up. Let me pray for you, and uh, we'll get started. Father in heaven, we uh, are grateful um, that as men, you've called us to be your sons. That this morning, even as I say, Father, and address you as Father, I can only do that by grace. And so we thank you for the way that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in our place that we who were once orphans and your enemies could now be called your sons. We also thank you for the grace of your word, that you've given us your very word and we hold it in the palm of our hands. And so this morning we pray that you would help us to treat that word reverently, but that also you would send your spirit to open our hearts that when we read your word, it would actually change us and transform us. So be with David now as he walks us through Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Uh, May this morning not just be an intellectual exercise or just a way for us to gather as men, but may it be worship as we study this psalm together. So bless David as you bless us through his teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, David. Thank you, brother.
1: Good morning. morning. Uh, As Paul introduced me, uh, just kind of give you an overview of who I am. I am David Williams. I will be serving as a church planting resident here at uh, Park Cities uh, for the next year. And so you all will see me around uh, quite a bit, Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting to know you guys, and I'm looking forward to for you to get to know me. I am uh, available for coffee, for lunch. You know, just uh, just let me know, and I'd I'd love to speak with you, tell you my story, and hear your story, as well as explain uh, the vision and the mission uh, behind coming to Dallas. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 100, a Psalm for Thanksgiving. Let us pray. Father, we give glory and honor to you. We thank you for these men who are assembled here to hear your word. We pray that your spirit would, uh, would speak to the hearts of men as we go through the scripture. We thank you that, you're, that you've given us your word, that you've given us your life. You've given us instruction on how to please you and how to live a life fulfilling. Uh, Father, I pray that you would bring these words to life, that they would take root in the heart and yield the fruit of the spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 100, a psalm for thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, given to us in love for our good. One of the most beloved and familiar tunes among Protestants goes by the name of the Old Hundredth, and it's based on this psalm. It was composed in 1551 by Louis Bourgeois for John Calvin's Geneva Psalter, and it was arranged by William Keith, who was a personal friend of John Knox. In fact, the melody for the Old Hundredth, the one in the Geneva Psalter, is the melody to which we sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. As we unpack this psalm and we walk through the deep and rich theology and anthropology, let us keep in mind that this is a song of worship. Starting in Psalm 93, David takes up the theme of the Lord as the coming king. And Psalm 100 is the doxology of these expectations. Psalm 93, the Lord reigns. And Psalm 94, the Lord will not forsake his people. Psalm 95, the Lord is a great God and King. Psalm 96, proclaim His majesty throughout the earth. Psalm 97, the Lord reigns over all of His enemies. Psalm 98, the Lord has done wondrous things. Psalm 99, the Lord is holy. Here in Psalm 100, God has dominion over all creatures. All of our lives are owed to him. He alone is worthy of praise. He is man's creator, provider, benefactor. But if we are not careful and watchful, we can find ourselves walking in ingratitude and not even be aware. Ingratitude is sneaky. What makes this passage as relevant today as when it was written is that it beckons us to lift our gaze to the Lord and to be ever mindful of His transcendent goodness. We shall examine Psalm 100 under three headings first, the invitation to give thanks, second, the obligation to give thanks, and third, the motivation to give thanks, the invitation to give thanks. David writes in verse 1, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Psalm 100 is seen as a hymn that was sung at the gates of the temple prior to entering to offering peace offering. This is alluded to in Leviticus 7, 11, and 12. And here in verse 1, the call is extended not just to the Jews who were entering the temple, but to all the inhabitants of the earth. As such, this is an evangelistic psalm, an invitation for all people from everywhere to come and to give praise and thanks to God. It is also a messianic psalm in that it looks forward to a Redeemer, a coming King in whom all the peoples of the earth will delight. Friends, this is fulfilled in Christ. God only has one people and one plan of redemption for all people. There's not a plan of redemption for Jews that's different from the plan of redemption for Gentiles. Friends, God only has one people, and they are those who look to Christ as their Savior. And here in verse 1, an invitation is extended to all. Anyone who will may come. Now, I know many of you here this morning have responded to Christ's invitation to come to him. You love the Lord, gathering with his people, singing his praises and hearing his word taught and preached. But I would not presume that this is the case for everyone in this room. There may be someone here investigating. And to you... The invitation is being extended. Friends, don't allow sin to hold you back. Jesus' blood shed on the cross is more powerful than your sin. He will wash you, and cleanse you, if you come to him in faith. God is inviting us to fellowship and communion with himself. It does not matter what you've done in life what's been done to you in life, where you've been, what you're even doing now. The invitation is being extended to you. In Christ, there is forgiveness and fellowship with the Father. And the invitation, the call, is extended to all, anyone, everyone. Because God reaches out to creatures, lost in sin, and invites them to himself, offering forgiveness through his Son. This is why we give thanks. This leads us to the second heading and the body of this psalm, the obligation to give thanks, verses 2 through 4. Verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing, Know that the Lord, he is God, it is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. What we've just read are seven obligations in verses two through four in this psalm, to serve the six obligations, rather, to serve the Lord with gladness, to come into His presence with singing, to know that the Lord He is God, to enter His gates with thanksgiving, to give Him thanks and to bless His name. Notice with me how comprehensive our obligations to give praise and thanks to God are. It encompasses thoughts, words, and deeds. In verse 2, David writes to serve the Lord with gladness. Here, the psalmist declares that our service to the Lord is not to be done as if it's a hardship or an imposition but we are to do so joyfully. In verse 3, the psalmist writes to come into his presence with singing. And this completes the thought started in verse 1. That God has called creatures to himself is in itself grounds for joy. Think about it for a moment. A holy God invites sinners to fellowship and communion with himself. But if you pay close attention, it's verse 3, couched in the middle of the obligations, which is the focal point of all the obligations listed in this psalm. And what the psalmist has done is incorporate a Hebrew literary device to highlight the central thought of a passage. It's like taking uh, steps up a ladder. There's a step and a corresponding support, and they go up to a pinnacle. And what this thought is, is the pinnacle of this psalm. It's the central point. To know that the Lord, he is God. What David is doing in highlighting the centrality of the significance to know that the Lord, he is God, is reminding the audience that the Lord, Yahweh, is their God, their Elohim. Yahweh is your Elohim, the one who delivered you from bondage, the one who revealed himself on the mount, gave his people his word. Now, this is rich in Old Testament Trinitarian language, which I do not have time to unpack here, but I would love to spend some time and and go deep into this. But what David is doing is distinguishing this God from all others. The Lord, he is God. You see, friends, creatures were made to worship, and we will worship something. The call here is for people to know that there is only one true and living God, and it is He we are called to give praise and thanks. David further elaborates on this obligation, verse 3, by adding, It is He who made us, and we are His. Or as the, the old King James says, not we ourselves. We didn't create ourselves. We are not autonomous beings as much as we would like to think we are, but rather we are dependent creatures. Our being and all that flows from it are dependent upon the Lord. You see, friends, we are made in God's image, holding his very impression in our, in our being. And as creatures made in His image, we are covenantally bound to Him. In our own minds, and due to the introduction of sin in the fall, the impression of the Lord within us is obscured. We tend to get the creature-creator distinction obscured. We think of ourselves as non-contingent, necessary beings and that God somehow depends upon us as if the universe revolves around us and God is begging us to let him be a part of it. Or we tend to project deity and divinity upon created effects. As necessary and essential, the triune Godhead existed before all, before all creation and all eternity. Blessed fellowship, communion with one another. They were complete in their unity. However, in creation, the triune Elohim extends the blessing of existence to creatures. And we are obligated to the Lord simply on this basis alone. It is to this Godhead that David is writing that we must glory in our dependence upon Further, the psalmist writes in verse 3 that we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. This speaks to divine ownership, provision, protection. By declaring the Lord as the shepherd of humanity, David is saying not only do we owe our existence to God, but our subsistence as well. He's encouraging all people to give thanks for this. As you all well know, the history of Israel is not so illustrious. At many points, they fell into idolatry, just like the nations around them whom God had not been revealed. You see, friends, the root of their idolatry was that they did not know that the Lord, He is God. We see this clearly in Exodus 32 when they were leaving Egypt and Moses was receiving the law on Mount Sinai. As Moses tarried, the people urged Aaron to fashion the golden calf. Aaron, for some reason, not only fashioned the calf, but he pronounced the calf as the Yahweh, the Elohim that led them out of Egypt. They did not know that the Lord, he is God. So they made one. Calvin writes, The human mind is, so to speak, a perpetual forge of idols. The human mind, stuffed as it is with presumptuous rashness, dares to imagine a God suited to its own capacity. As it labors under dullness, nay, is sunk in the grossest ignorance. It substitutes vanity and an empty phantom in the place of God. To these evils another is added. The God whom man has thus conceived inwardly, he attempts to embody outwardly. The mind in this way conceives the idol and the hand gives it birth. And daily experience shows that the flesh is always restless until it has obtained some figment like itself with which it may vainly solace itself as a representation of God. In consequence of this blind passion, men have almost in all ages since the world began set up signs upon which they imagined that God was visibly depicted in their eyes." Friends, people will worship anything. Themselves, their desires, sex, money, power, leisure, their careers, their family. The list is endless. None of which is worthy of worship as they are not the source of our being. Apart from acknowledging the Lord as the only one to whom worship and service is due, as the source of our very being, man will replace him with anything. It's easy to think our subsistence is from our job or our financial security, our education, anything. But friends, when we attribute our blessedness and our subsistence to anything other than the Almighty, what we're really doing is making that thing our Elohim. Just like the Israelites at Mount Sinai with the golden calf. This leads us to our third heading, the motivation to give thanks. Verse 5, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Verse 5 is the reason for verses 1 through 4. David has given us the what in verses 1 through 4, and here in verse 5, he's giving us the why. You see, friends, obligations and motivations go hand in hand. God is not a taskmaster simply handing out directives, nor is he so permissive and arbitrary to where he overlooks our covenantal obligations as creatures made in his image. A significant problem with the contemporary church is that there is a tendency to divorce the two. We either focus on our obligation, which produces moralistic legalism, or we focus on our motivation, which produces self-help therapeutic deism. Motivation and our obligation inform one another. David brings this full circle in verse 5, telling us exactly why we worship and serve the Lord. Look with me. Verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Verse 5, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Verse 2, A, serve the Lord with gladness. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Come into his presence with singing. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. Know that the Lord, He is God, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. Give him thanks and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Some of you may be wondering, what does God's goodness have to do with joyful service? Especially if things might not be going so well. Perhaps your job security is uncertain. Perhaps you're having trouble with your children. Perhaps there's marital issues or health issues or even a crisis that you've not spoken with anyone about. Friends, God is still good. David does not tell us to give thanks to the Lord because things are favorable with us. Nor is our giving thanks to God preconditioned upon where we may find ourselves in circumstances of life, when we have no financial need, or our children are well-behaved and walking with Jesus, and we and all of our loved ones are in excellent health, or even because our, gov- our party is in control of the government. Friends, David precludes all of life's circumstances regarding why we give thanks to the Lord and focuses on the only thing that matters. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. So, the condition this is speaking to is to get us to the place of spiritual maturity in our walk with the Lord where everything can be completely upside down, but we're stable, steady, steadfast, consistent. Because the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. You see, friends, goodness is not something that God has. Goodness is what God is. Good is not a standard above God to which he must strive to meet. God is the I am that I am. His characteristics and His person are identical. God is love. God is light. God is holy. God is good. And His manifest goodness to us has been seen in that He has blessed us with existence, subsistence. He has given us His Word. He's given us His Son. He's given us His Spirit. To reduce God's goodness, love, and faithfulness down to what we possess or any other temporal circumstance is to do a gross injustice to the Lord. As I've alluded, God's characteristics are inherent to His being. His goodness, faithfulness, and love for us transcends our temporal circumstances his very presence with us is his manifest goodness and steadfast love the lord never said that if we came to him that he would exempt us from the harsh realities of living in a fallen world but what he did say is that no matter what he would be with us through it all Theologian Michael Horton writes, The attributes of God flow from his being in its infinite perfection. As we read Scripture, God has many wondrous attributes, yet we are not to think of his attributes as like ingredients of a cake. Put them all together, and that is how God is composed. The attributes flow from his essence. They describe who He is, but they are not parts of Him, like gears in an engine. Friends, we cannot use our temporal circumstances to gauge whether God is good to us or not. If we do, when things are going good, then we'll think is God that God is for us, or worse, that we're somehow deserving. When things are difficult... Will think that God is against us. Thinking like that is not faith, that's religious superstition. We don't praise and serve the Lord because everything is going well with us, we do it in spite of whatever is going on in our lives. God's goodness, steadfast love, and faithfulness transcends. Temporal momentary hardships and difficulties. Friends, we worship and serve the Lord, praise Him, and give Him thanks because He is good. Now, what we've heard is the invitation of the Lord to all people to come and to worship Him, the obligation of all people to come and worship Him, and the motivation of all people, to come and worship him. If you are here and you have not placed your faith in Christ, I'm glad you're here. I'd love to speak with you following this study. I'd love to get to know you and for you to get to know me. I'd love to hear your story. The Lord is inviting you to himself. For those here who know the Lord... My prayer is that the transcendent goodness of God would be your ever-present reality. That we would worship and serve the Lord without regard to what else may be going on in our lives. You may say, that's all good and fine, but you don't know what's going on in my life right now, and it just doesn't seem like God is so good. Friends, let me remind you, the goodness of God was expressed in that He sent His Son to die for our sins. No one here has to atone for their own sin. Christ died to take away our sin, and that's the greatest gift that surpasses anything we may face in this life. And this is why, regardless of what this life may hold, we give thanks to Him. From the old hundredth, all people that on earth do dwell Sing to the Lord with cheerful voice, Him serve with mirth, his praise forth tell, come ye before him and rejoice. Know that the Lord is God indeed. Without our aid he did us make. We are his flock, he doth us feed, and for his sheep he doth us take. O oh, enter his gates with praise. Approach with joy his courts unto. Praise, Lord, bless his name always, for it is seemly so to do. Because the Lord our God is good, his mercy is forever sure. His truth at all times firmly stood and shall from age to age endure. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for these men who have made it a point to be here this, uh, early this morning to hear your word. I pray that it would, uh, Father, that it would be life, that it would give life, that it would give light. Bless them in their faithfulness. You make us faithful because you are faithful. In Christ's name, Amen.